Greetings, Amigops, and Top Teners everywhere. This is Mike from Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I am joined this week, as I am every week, by our lovely maroon sweatshirted co-host, Kyle. Kyle and I are in the midst of an epic run of early podcasting, so there is just energy and crispness all over the place. I don't promise that that will be the outcome of this podcast, but I can promise you in the run-up to this recording, we are feeling energetic and crisp. So this week, as we do every week, we will be discussing a topic. I know generally what this topic is, but I don't know the angle we're going to be attacking it from. We're going to debate this topic vigorously for somewhere around an hour, and then we are going to, by the end of this episode, arrive at a definitive top 10 of that thing. So, k Dog, what are we talking about this week? Yes, thank you for that introduction, Michael. We are full of boundless energy, but unfortunately, I think the subject matter is going to be one of our more, not somber episodes, but it'll be a little more serious, I think, because we are going to be talking yeah. about a serious movie and a serious actor <laughs> a very serious actor we both saw joker recently when this comes out it'll have been in theaters for a couple of weeks now so hopefully everyone has seen it a disclaimer we will be spoiling yes. the movie in its entirety so if you have not seen it yet do not listen to this podcast yeah don't yeah definitely don't so one of the things that we had talked about about this movie and i think something that's been discussed generally is kind of how people feel about it with regards to its message about violence. And mm -hmm. I think it's an important thing to talk about this movie and it would be impossible to talk about this movie without discussing it. So I think what we should do first is just have a conversation about how we felt about that particular aspect of the movie. And then what the top yeah. 10 list is, is kind of it, spoiler alert. But Mike and I both are of the, the opinion that this movie isn't, glorifying violence in any way and yeah. so i think we should talk about that generally and then the, the the list is going to be basically 10 items or things about the film that i think kind of reinforce our concept of what this movie actually was oh, going okay. for I, so okay so that makes me happy because i was trying to think about this we had talked about this movie and i think we both had generally agreed the thing we wanted to discuss was like the backlash against the movie because I think that interested both of us. And so finding a way into it was a little bit funky. It's just kind of hard to know how to explore that in the context of our top 10 list format. But what what I think is interesting is you and I have theoretically a platform to talk to people. Practically speaking, we're talking to people who know us and who are reasonably familiar with our opinions. But at least in some theoretical way, people who don't know us could be listening and so it's, I think, generally speaking, we we try to talk about things that are in our wheelhouse, and that's kind of our biggest thing, like, what's in our wheelhouse? This is very in our wheelhouse. So, like, us talking about politics and society and all that stuff in a vacuum doesn't make a ton of sense, because it's not really our, our spot, but movies and especially comic book movies when they run into those issues that is in our wheelhouse <laughs> and i don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about a movie that i think is really important so i'm glad we're doing this yeah me too and and this is and this is also just because it's a movie like this is also going to be a film critique and some of these yeah some of these items are going to just be things that i liked about the movie that i think 
had an impact on the overall message or vibe of it that are more like you know film techniques or writing or acting choices that yeah. i just think are important mm -hmm. to the overall vibe of the movie and also they're not really I, they're not really ranked. I kind of grouped them in sections, but yeah. this is not our, a conventional list in that the number one thing I have on here isn't, you know, much, much more important than what I have at number 10. This is more of just a, a 10 list, not necessarily a top 10 list, I guess would be fair to say. So, yeah, and I think that's fine because that fits in with, I think ultimately you and I just want to talk about this movie. So yeah. I, I think my, my, I don't know if it's my tweet length review, but like my basic take on this movie from a, did I enjoy this movie point of view is it, it, I was blown away by this movie. I was enthralled by this movie. I saw it with my dad and my soon to be brother-in-law Seamus. And the three of us were just stapled to our seats. It was, it had our attention from start to finish. We were compelled by the story. We were compelled by the message, all that stuff. So from the point of view of, did I like the movie? absolutely loved the movie thought that the cinematography was really cool and different from what you see i thought that the universe was constructed like a sandbox there was a, only a couple spots that they go in this movie and the time frame was a little unclear but it seemed like it was all taking place over the course of a couple weeks just things that i like in a movie so from that from that point of view that's sort of my take on the movie from the why are people reacting to this movie the way they're reacting I think I've sort of crystallized what my take on this is. And I think the problem is Todd Phillips. So I think I've decided that I have not spoken to a person. And this could be because of my circle. Like I, I surround myself with people who I work with or who I'm friends with. So my circle is what it is. But I haven't come across anybody who's seen this movie who came away thinking, this movie has a problematic attitude towards violence, but I've heard a lot of critics who feel that way. And I tend to think that if this movie had been made by somebody other than the guy who directed the hangover and old school and movies like that, there would have been a lot more leeway given to interpreting the events of this movie and to generously looking at like, okay, this person has the artistic power to persuade me subtly rather than having this movie say, don't you see in this scene, Joker commits an act of violence, which is bad. But I think because the, the critical community doesn't have that trust with Todd Phillips, the way they might with Martin Scorsese. I don't think that this movie was given that level of trust. And I, and I think ultimately that was the biggest problem because you have a movie that's, playing closely on the line of satire and critical commentary, it's always hard to fall exactly right. I, the example that always springs to mind is Huckleberry Finn uses the N-word pretty extensively, and a lot of people will say, hey, that's a racist book. That That is not a racist book. It's a book that examines racism in a satirical way, and it's always a thin line between satirizing something and actually glorifying it. And I think you have to trust the the artist to always trust that they're falling on the, the side of that line that they want to fall on. And I think the trust between the critical audience and Todd Phillips just isn't there. I hadn't really considered it from that perspective. Like, I wonder if this had been made by a, an auteur, you know, like if it had been made mm -hmm. by, um, 
you know, whoever. Paul Thomas Anderson. Make Have this be a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And I really think we're all talking about <laughs> what a great message this movie sent. Maybe. I. It'd be. That's an interesting thought experiment. I, I think like it's it's actually a really difficult <laughs> task to be given is to make a movie like this at, in this climate. It's like, hey, careful here, take this character <laughs> and really examine him, and mm-hmm. be careful with the violent stuff. Oh, but by the way, it's a character that we all know. There's like years and years and years of history of this character being excessively violent. So like, I, like I actually yeah. think that. It's almost a trap. Like this movie where let's say it was called like the comedian and it was about some mm-hmm. other guy that wasn't the Joker. It could yeah. have been very different, but you're kind of, I mean, like there's certain beats and they, they took a lot of liberties with some of the, the finer points of it. And we'll talk about that. But ultimately the end, the end destination of this movie is that you have to have this character that's known to be, you know, a violent supervillain, Right. <laughs> and so like you have to you have to end there credibly yeah 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 which i think they do a good job of building and that's what we're going to talk about i think that yeah. the they did all of the legwork necessary to reach that conclusion in my opinion yes that's my opinion too I, and i i think there's i think there's this interesting and you and I talk about this all the time, like within the logic of a movie and outside of the logic of a movie, kind of what is what's going on. And I think people being concerned in a climate of rising right wing violence and in, in a world where young, disaffected white men are increasingly violent and angry, you have to worry that a movie like this could serve as a as a as an opportunity, as an event to spark real life violence. In that sense, I totally understand people's feelings that just having this movie as of date on a calendar could serve as an opportunity for people to be violent. And I get that. And I think that that's legit. And obviously, a lot of theaters beefed up their security. And in that sense, I understand. But that really has nothing to do with the movie as a work of art. That has to do with the movie as a cultural event. And that's got nothing to do with the movie. And so I, I that that criticism or that observation, I think that holds that that holds you know weight. I, I get that, but the piece about the movie itself contributing to violence or or validating people's violent instincts, I don't agree with. I yeah, well, I I agree with you. I think I think that's one piece of it is like the real world implications of drawing attention yes. to a, a film of this subject matter, and I think another. Yeah another piece of it is that the movie in the, reportedly is is taking a character that bears a lot of similar traits to some of the people that we hear about in the news right marginalized isolated that kind of thing mm-hmm. and i think the takeaway for some people is that this movie is kind of glorifying maybe not glorifying but providing you know a very visceral and visible way in which a person like that deals with whatever they're dealing with. And I think, can you, ex- can you explain the ending? Cause that's, I think that's important. So just explain how the movie ends. Well, it's really interesting. So the, the movie ends with him going on the talk show and uh, what's his name? Murray Franklin. Yeah. He kills him on TV. And this is all after he's incited like a, some, 
like class riots based on some other murders earlier in the movie and he is being escorted to prison and gets busted out of the cop car and they basically rally around this act it's basically like a rallying cry for the the movement and they're that movie basically ends with him you know being raised up like a as an icon he looks like jesus yeah like he's standing on top of a flaming car with all these people around him Mm -hmm. and so like you know to that kind of looks like (laughs) i don't know it's 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 painting his actions in or at least the way that people respond to it in the movie is positive in a in a right but see that's but see that's the point is i i feel like we have to have some, we have to have some level of trust that the audience has some level of sophistication. I understand that because this is a comic book based movie, the base case that people are coming into is the viewer will be a young teenage boy. The exactly that demographic that could be most influenced by the violent imagery on the screen. So I understand if the the assumption is that this isn't a particularly sophisticated audience, but I think that there's some there's some baseline amount of sophistication we have to assume, which is to say that we don't believe everything that's shown on screen and received positively on screen is positive. Like that's crazy. We can't possibly live in a world where we were we're that illiterate as movie viewers because that doesn't require any great insight. You don't have to be like you know, an NYU film school grad to know that just because characters on screen are saying it's great, that doesn't mean it's great. And to me, like, yes, the movie ends on a note where this character is validated for his violent instincts. And even though he doesn't particularly have a message to share with people, is held up as the bringer of this message. But ultimately, to me, that's that's a big part of the point of this movie is that this character is is really nothing. He stands for nothing and is nothing. That's like one of the big takeaways of this movie is this character doesn't have a great message, but people read into his message as something more and glorify him. Well, we're going to be talking about that a lot because I think that's the key key point of this whole movie. And we can get started if you want. And I'm going to go a little bit out of order since we're already talking about it. it. I think what's interesting is that what ends up happening is not at all his intention at any point in the film. No. And, and so I'll, I kind of grouped three points together here. Can we actually start real quick with what we should have started with, which is just a brief synopsis. I'll give it real sure. quick before you launch it of the movie. So character, basically, what's his last name? Fleck. Fleck. Arthur, Arthur Fleck. Fleck. He, he lives with his mom. He's in his probably late 30s, early 40s. He is unemployed employed or lightly employed as a clown he has some work troubles he's clearly has mental health issues he starts living in kind of a delusional world starts spiraling he ends up committing a couple murders that uh inspire people to begin like a class riot in i whatever he's in gotham city and basically he just continues to grow more violent the movie ends as kyle said with him murdering his idol on television and then being glorified as this like you know this leader of this this great social movement so that's that's basically the plot of the movie absolutely so yeah what i think is interesting is they did a they spent a lot of time a lot of time detailing the motivations of this character and Mm -hmm. so i'll group these together this would be like 10 through 8 
Yeah. So there's the I, the three points are the Murray Franklin daydream. So when he's watching the Murray Franklin show with his mom, and he, do you remember this where he they turn the show on and then he has this like daydream <laughs> yeah. and it's not clear that he's dreaming at first, where he's in the audience of the Murray Franklin show and he says something like "I love you, Murray." And he calls him down on stage and just kind of like commends him for taking care of his mom and says like, you know, I, you're great. You know, I wish I had a son like you. <laughs> and so, Ugh. and it's really fucking sad. It's fucking really sad. And then he snaps out of it and he's in this dark bedroom watching a TV show with his mom. But, and I'll, I'll zip through these quickly and then we can talk about it kind of more yeah. generally. The second is this whole Thomas Wayne arc, which we yeah. can talk more about the choice to make it Thomas Wayne later, but the point is that he's clinging to this idea that he has a father figure in his life that he never knew about, and there's a mm-hmm. scene where he confronts him in the bathroom, and he says something like, like, how about, it's like, what do you want, money? He goes, how about just some fucking, you know, a hug, dad? You know, why can't we just be yeah. civil? Why can't, you know, people just treat each other with respect? And then the last point is we find out later in the film that a girl that we think he's been spending a lot of time with is actually just a basically a hallucination he's having or a a form of like mental wish fulfillment. And in all these hallucinations, she's just spending time with him and at his comedy routine and in the hospital with him, his mom, you know, the point is in his daydreams and in his, you know, this world that he creates that would be perfect for him. The, the things that he cares about are having the love of a father figure, whether it be Thomas Wayne or Murray Franklin, and having someone that you know to spend time with in in Sophie. Like all this guy wants is to be loved and to have someone to to share stuff with and feel cared for and not feel ignored. So I, I think it's interesting that we're not seeing daydreams of he's not dreaming about leading a, a class revolt or protecting yeah. people on the train and and killing people that are rich when he's poor his inner motivations aren't inherently violent that happens to be sure what motivates him at his core is like a yearning to be a part of something and be with other people which i think you go ahead no well that's that's exactly it i think what this movie does really interestingly is i think i think that the the pathos like the the feeling i get of this movie is about the psychological like disintegration of a person but i don't ultimately think that that's what the movie is trying to explore in the most depth because that's been done and i and i think that person needs x y or z and and their mental state deteriorates it's it's a clear it's kind of a clear progression exactly what influence other people can have on that it's hard to say like what would have happened if thomas wayne had in fact been his father and had stepped in and offered something that's really hard to say and i think that the more we learn about mental health the more we realize that it's just so complicated there's just an alchemy in the brain like things happen and things go in things come out it's hard to say what can make a person go down a particular path what i think the movie is a little bit more interested in is taking a person who is in this state mentally, however they got there, what are the things that societally can sort of quench their thirst? What what offers them what they're looking for in their personal life? And it's interesting that 
Arthur wants these very understandable, simple human things. And we can kind of argue, I think, pretty, pretty successfully either way, whether having the girlfriend or being acknowledged for being good to his mom or having a father would have would have given him what he was looking for. I'm, I'm not sure. But it is clear that even though he was never looking for the adulation of crowds, and he certainly wasn't looking to be the leader of a social movement, that did give him what he was looking for. And and that does seem to ring true, at least as somebody who's not a sociologist, that does ring true in, in real life. Oh, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, he's craving the attention of a lover or a father or a friend, and he ends up getting that attention from strangers, but that's better than nothing. And he repeatedly tried to go down this one road, you know, and just yeah. repeatedly is having the doors slammed in his face, oftentimes literally. And so, mm-hmm. of course, when he goes down this other road and then all of a sudden he has a line, and this was something I had um, written for later on. I'll just move it up here. When he's talking with his uh, caseworker, mm-hmm. he says the quote, I think, is, all my life I didn't even know if I existed. Ugh. And now I do. People are starting to notice. And it I I really think it's that simple. Like he yeah. does he commits an act of violence. He kills three people on the subway. And literally the long and short of it for him is just that people are noticing it. Like they talk about it on TV. And yeah. like I I you believe him when he says I didn't even know if I existed and to him, like this is proving to him that he does and it's negative attention and it's not direct because people don't know it was him, but it's better than what he's had. Yeah. And I, and I think what's interesting about this point. So I think that the fear that a lot of people have about a movie like this is that it would unnecessarily or overly humanize somebody who's done something horrible. So in this case, obviously, it's a fictional person, but we're using this. I think the joke, I think Joker in this case is a stand in for all the real life mass murderers. We, we have these mass shootings all the time. And I think that the movie is trying to draw parallels between a person who's a loner and seeking this and realizes they can get what they're looking for through violence. So uh, the big fear people have, I think, is that the, this would, by proxy, humanize people who have committed acts of real-world violence that are horrible. But what I think is interesting is there's this very human urge for absolute and unknowable evil. It's a really appealing thought. It's really hard to find because people are people, and at any point in somebody's life, they are still a human, and so the human who stands in as like this unknowable essence of evil, just that's, it's it's not to say that it doesn't exist. Maybe it does, but it's really hard to find. And so in a movie where you explore motivation and you explore a backstory, you risk finding yourself feeling for somebody who commits something, an act that's very evil. But to me, at least I think there's a very different, there's a big and very important difference between understanding and excusing and I don't think that the movie urges you to excuse his violence because he's he's deprived of these very human things. But I think it, it pushes you to try to understand that. Well, I think, well, I don't know, let me ask you, did you feel pity for the character at any point during the movie? Absolutely. I certainly did. But I did, but that didn't, but I wasn't Jedi mind tricked into excusing his behavior. Yeah, well, I think that's, 
it's not necessarily a fine line, but the, I think they stayed very well on one side of it. Like you can, you can yeah. feel bad for this guy and understand what caused him to do it without condoning it. Yeah. I just think that subtlety has to exist. And I also think that if we want to talk about like eradicating or at least controlling real life evil, it really helps to understand what people's motivations are. It doesn't, again, I just, I don't think it goes, it follows directly that trying to understand why somebody does something bad means you're going to accidentally find yourself excusing it. I think it is okay to draw lines. It is okay to say this person was deeply mentally ill. And so I feel, I understand that they were, they were sick but I still draw the line at murdering people. That it, that is I, that it does require a little bit of mental gymnastics, but I don't think it requires so much that it's it's not something we can do. Because at least because at least in trying to understand why they do they did what they did, you can you can try to stop the next the next person from going down that path. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And well, to to, to follow up on that point, like making it clear that he was mentally ill, I think was a important part of this movie. And they do it pretty overtly, you know, like they spend a lot of time yeah. at Arkham and he has a, you know, someone that he talks to the great Brian Tyree Henry. That's right. But the thing that stood out to me the most, and I thought it was a really interesting creative choice and an acting choice was the laugh. Like <sighs> the, the idea that his laugh could be, uncontrollable and involuntary is taking this hallmark about the joker that usually is you know like a sign of his insanity and it's still that but now it's a physical an actual physical ailment and i thought that was such a a great choice and it like it's the same thing where it's still it's still an insanity thing but it makes you more piteous because and this is i think probably the most incredible accomplishment of joaquin phoenix in the film is that he the way he was able to make it look like it was like he was coughing or trying to hold it back like it was a physical constraint that he just couldn't it was like really actually difficult to watch because it was like watching someone like choking or having a hard time breathing but he was laughing yeah i was wild like <laughs> well it's well it's interesting because it again it comes back to the like the root of this i think what's different about this laugh relative to the others is it's not just an end point i think most joker origin yeah. stories the laugh is only something that that happens after he goes insane this i think you can pretty plausibly say is a contributing factor because i think one of the scenes that was really affecting for me was the bus scene yeah when he's trying to talk to the little kid. And I think that the mother starts to be a little weirded out by him before he starts laughing. But the laugh pushes this interaction over the edge. And in a situation where Arthur could theoretically be experiencing some meaningful human connection, this laugh drives a wedge between him and another person. And so the laugh isn't just a manifestation of his insanity. It drives him towards that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely more of a <laughs> cause and effect thing where normally it's yeah. normally it's the effect and this time it's the cause. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I thought that was he'll get nominated for best best lead, right? 
Yeah, well, it's interesting because I was talking about this, I think, with my dad, that the field is is funky because we haven't really hit like all of the prestige Oscar bait movies yet Mm. because the field is I think I think it's always five, right? It doesn't have to be, but it's usually five. Okay, so we have I think he'll be nominated. I think either Brad or probably be nominated. Probably Leo, I think, but but one or the other. I think you have a very good shot that somebody from Kill the Irish or the Irish Kill the Irishman or the Irishman, whatever it's called, would be nominated and possibly multiple. And then you have the Ford versus Ferrari movie. Don't be surprised to see Christian Bale get a nomination. Like so, the field is starting to fill up. So I I, I tend to think he won't be left out, but I I do think just the numbers game is going to get a little complicated. Yeah, I think Joaquin Phoenix at this point has kind of. Like he has a seat at the table, like when he does something yeah, like this. So I wouldn't be surprised, but he's certainly deserving of at least a nomination because he's, yeah, I don't. He's doing the I don't know who did it first, but like it's him and Christian Bale that will do this. Like just like the physical transformation and mm-hmm. like I don't know that the physical stuff too in this movie. The way he would like do the dancing and like hunch his shoulders yeah. and like had that kind of. It was a pretty impressive performance, and he's always off-putting, and in a off-putting in a way that's that's very physical. Yeah, to your point. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. We kind of that was like loosely numbers like ten, nine, eight, seven, six. So I, yeah, we haven't had a lot of structure, but we can talk about a not top three. I didn't really have. Well, first of all, I should cue it up, huh? Yeah, let's cue it. Yeah, Kev, go ahead and hit that stank. Thank you, Kevin. We understand this week is a little confusing for you. It's confusing for us, too, but we're, we're trying something. Yeah, here. thank you for uh, hanging tough there, Kev, and for that stankiness. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't really have a lot of things I didn't like about the movie. Like the things I didn't like about the movie are also kind of what makes it great. Like I didn't like how unsettled I felt the entire time, but like that's yep. the movie. Yep. The the one thing I will nitpick is I and it's kind of a weird nitpick coming from me and, and you is I was kind of put off by the amount of Batman stuff in it. <laughs> like in, in yep. a movie about the Joker, I thought that I thought the Thomas Wayne stuff made sense because you need to have a a powerful character. And in this universe, Gotham City, that made a lot of sense. But I thought it was a little bit ham-fisted to have Bruce and Alfred in that scene at the gate. The uh, That was, that was, the Alfred stuff was so bad, actually. Like, I specifically, Alfred more than Bruce, though Bruce was weirdly just catatonic, but Alfred was just unnecessary and didn't make a lot of sense. And, and to me, didn't fit with the modern interpretation of Alfred, which is as a badass. Yeah. Like, I had a hard time seeing that scene unfold, not, and thinking that he wouldn't have just beaten the living crap out of Arthur. Or just like dismissed him and fucking like taken off instead of like. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. Letting his war. So, whatever. That, that's like a neither here nor there. But your point is well made i agree i think that the thomas wayne stuff it sat a little weirdly with me partially because i'm i'm defensive and protective of characters that i care about and i like thomas wayne and so i was you know i was always gonna have a hard time with him being portrayed as less than great but but i also think this was a 
my opinion of this is that this was a little bit of a defense mechanism against people claiming that this movie was taking a political side because the Thomas Wayne character was, I think, a really weird mashup of President Trump and Hillary Clinton because he makes the jo- the clown comment, which I think was basically supposed to be Hillary's deplorables comment. But then he and his family are very Trump family like. And so I think that they just wanted him to do an awful lot of work. Personally, I think he could have just done the Arthur thinks he's his dad storyline yeah. and been pretty OK with it. And then I think you could also avoid the need to make him to be such an elitist dickweed because the scene where he's telling Arthur like your mom was was not well I actually don't think he's that lacking in compassion he doesn't come across as that much of a dick and I don't think he needed to for the movie to work and for that storyline to function properly yeah I mean it I think for maximum effect like like everyone is a dick to Arthur so it just kind of makes sense but yeah, that was it was also weird because he's the same actor that plays the either chief of police the or the senator. Yeah, the senator in uh in Dark Knight Rises. But that bothered Jerry so much. Like so so much. That was weird. And then like how many times do we need to see Thomas and Martha Wayne get killed in an alley with the pearls? Like very yeah, the, they love those pearls. It was really unnecessary in a lot of ways. I think that they probably could have skipped it all together. Yep. <laughs> or if they really wanted to, they could have just shown either the theater or even them walking out. Because I got it. Like, I, I mean, don't get I, I I classify myself as a as a reasonably astute Batman viewer, but still. Everybody knows that they were at the theater. I really thought they did there was an overhead shot of them walking into the alley and i was like okay awesome i get it yes and then they kept going i was like really are we doing correct exactly like if they just show them go into the alley or come out of the theater or something it's like okay we all get it we know it's crime alley i just and it's also weird because like this movie is so insular and completely isolated from the rest of this extended universe like it's not like there's gonna be a payoff down the road where batman is like you caused the riot that killed my parents like that's not i don't think that's ever gonna happen so why why is there this like that's i agree you wonder it does lead the cynical part of your brain to wonder whether they just made him do it for the possibility I, i hope not but even if they do, even if they do have a sequel or whatever to this movie, it won't be with the same aesthetic or visual palette. It just won't. There's no way. And so even if they do a sequel, it won't feel like it, I don't think. No, it, certainly not. That's literally all I had for the not top three, unless you had something else. Yeah, those things. I also think that there were there was to a certain degree, there were there were a few too many a f- there were a couple plot lines and characters I could have just cut. Like, I think having, um, I can't remember his name, but Detective Box from uh, The Night Of and uh, Shea Wiggum, who I love. I'm, uh, give me as much Shea He's Wiggum in more as stuff possible, lately. He's a, he's a truly outstanding actor. And for anybody who hasn't seen Boardwalk Empire, he is an utterly heartbreaking and fantastic character in that show. So I love those guys, but I just don't think they were given enough to do. And we probably could have saved 10 minutes from cutting them. And also... I think that the, like, the the more overt social worker is having her funding cut references and things of that ilk, we're like, okay, this doesn't totally add to my understanding of the movie, 
I, I just think you probably could have cut it. I, I get what they're getting at. Like, yes, underfunded mental health services are a problem in this country and in the world at large. Okay, yes, I think we all agree on that, and it's useful to demonstrate it. But I think it was just a little on the nose. Yeah, it was a little overt. But I, I don't know. I think that's another. Well, that's actually a, a point I had on here. Was I think that like they, if you're gonna make a movie where you're not where you want to fully understand the motivations and the scenario that puts a character like this in the position that he's in, you have to mention this at some point. And you're right. Maybe it was a little too on the nose, but you have to do something to that effect. Or she, they do. It is pretty overt. She's like, listen, guy, no one gives a shit about you. And quite frankly, no one gives a shit about me either. And it's like, yeah. Okay. But yeah. So that, that was my only kind of issue with that. So I think that's it for the not tops. That's kind of what I've got. Okay. The next group of things I kind of wanted to talk about was I thought for a movie that was purportedly a lot about violence, I thought they handled it pretty interestingly. So my first point was kind of his, the way they kind of portray him is averse to it at first or kind of unfamiliar Mm -hmm. or even scared of it. I really liked the scene where he gets a gun from a guy at work and he brings it home and he's like having this weird daydream and he like accidentally fires it and he like freaks out and is really scared of it. Yeah. I thought that was actually really effective because, and this goes into my next point, like a lot, a lot of the early violence in the movie is actually reactionary. Like the people that he kills on the subway are bothering a woman and it's not like he tries to stop them, but they are literally kicking him on the ground before he returns fire and then i think he keeps going out of fear of discovery yeah so i think it's interesting i I appreciated that the the turn was more gradual and kind of accidental other rather than being kind of like his first instinct when things start to go sour for him so i thought first that accidental gun scene was telling and then kind of the way they ease into the final because it, it really escalates after that, but I thought those... It does ratchet up. Those two pieces, I think, worked well in tandem. I agree. I think... I So this is this is coming from, as we clearly advertised at the beginning, somebody who's not an expert in this field, but I do think my impression is that violence tends to be enacted by people who are fearful. So either people who are subject to violence at home from a young age or people who feel physically intimidated you know it's it's situations where people don't feel comfortable where they tend to enact violence i think again i think but that's that's uh, all the evidence that i've been presented is kind of that's the a big cause of violence is fear and fear tends to come from you know being in situations where you're mistreated or you're taught to be fearful and so arthur is an interesting study in that because his physicality it's it's not so much that he's frail because he clearly does have sort of a, a maniacal like energy to him that can overcome his physical shortcomings, but he doesn't know how to be around people. He doesn't know how to engage other people physically. Like he doesn't hug, he doesn't touch. And so he's just afraid of people. Like it's clear that he's very afraid of people. And I think that the film does a nice job of showing that it's his that very fear of other people that that leads him down a violent path, not 
not a comfort with his own physicality. He's not, he's not a guy who walks into a room feeling confident. He's somebody who's been taught from a young age to be afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of how, like, yeah, good point. That's how this, this stuff starts out. And then after that, it's when he kind of, once he kind of adopts his new persona that that kind Mm -hmm. of goes away. Yeah. Pretty dramatically. He becomes comfortable with the violence. He's it's, it's once it feels comfortable to him, he realizes that he's not bound by the things he thinks he's bound by. Right. And it's, I mean, this is kind of not overt, but like, you know, when he's, I think anytime he does anything violent, he's got the paint on, right? Like he's, or maybe yeah. he doesn't mm-hmm. on the subway. He doesn't. And, or he does. No, he does. Cause that's when he's, because yeah, he's been fired. Cause he right? has that, that he's been fired. So he still has the full clown costume on the paint. And then when the guy comes over to his apartment, he's got, he's in the beginning of getting, he's ready. getting ready for the show. And on the show, obviously he's in full paint. So like that, I don't know. The it's a it's a, a literal and kind of a symbolic mask of him kind of adopting. No, it. I think you're right. I I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you're right on. I think it's a visual cue that this is his way of of like making himself feel powerful when clearly he doesn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I also thought for a film that was billed as being hyper violent. I mean, and it is, but it's more. It's more like. It's yeah. punctuated with violence. It's not, yes. and to the point where every time it happens, it's it's a real like it's really guttural, and it's like the when it happens, it's shocking. Like the the yep. scene when he um, those guys come over and he um, attacks him with the scissors was like almost too much to watch. Like it was yeah. so terrible and sudden, and I think that was done probably intentionally because it's. Certainly not in a lot of movies, like especially specifically superhero movies, you're kind of desensitized to just like tons and tons of people being killed and hurt and flung off, whatever. And in this movie, it's a few instances of hyper violence that really strike. And I appreciated that. And I thought it was well, well thought through. I that I don't have a ton to add to that, except to say that this exact thread came up very quickly with. Seamus, my dad and me after watching the movie that you can only see so many aliens get killed in the Avengers movies before you just become inured to it. And this movie, the body count was very low and each kill had great impact. It really you felt it. Yeah. So you're right on. Absolutely. My last two notes are more of kind of stylistic choices that I were kind of my big takeaways from the movie. Yeah. Other than I mean, what we've just talked about are the big things, but these are two things that kind of stuck with me that I liked. One was I liked how they started the movie and then it carried all the way through with this garbage strike thing. And literally, the setting of this like terrible, like (laughs) disgusting, hot city where there's just garbage everywhere perfectly set the scene. Like literally every scene, there's just like piles of trash everywhere, Mm -hmm. which, you know has the effect of making it seem like a really shitty place and you understand why he's that probably contributes to the way he's feeling but i thought that they just did a and they only mentioned that they're in gotham like i don't know two times yeah and you have no idea what year it is i just thought that that was like a really important 
key piece of establishing a setting where the place and the time are not actually that important. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing that I think is important about the place and the time is that it not be now and it not be the United States. The real the real United States. Yeah. Because because that then means you have to deal with the internet. Yeah. And how does that impact it? And what happens on these online forums and blah, 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 blah. You sort of have to deal with the real life like complications of violence in our society, which are so complicated because this movie the basic premise is person is is ill there are things that are obvious that could be done to help that we are left with an ambiguous conclusion as to whether the helping and fixing you know that follows that we could fix this but giving a person with these tendencies the platform is a bad thing. Like those, those are kind of premises that really follow easily in this environment, but which get endlessly complicated if you start setting them in the real world. Yeah. And so that to me was what was so important about the things you're talking about, the scene, like the, the establishing the, the geographic boundaries, all this stuff, the time and the place, it was just important to make it feel cinematic and to make it feel like it was its own thing. And it did that so successfully, and things like the garbage strike were huge contributors to that. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I think you're very right to put this as high as you put it. I think it was hugely important to the success of the movie. Yeah, and then my favorite kind of, I don't know, it's not really a, a set piece, but the those shots, those still shots of him walking up the stairs, like, first, like, they, they, they do the point of you know, showing that how downtrodden he is and symbolically he's climbing. It's this endless climb, right? Of all, all these negative thoughts and this, you know, this constant struggle that he's having. And so that w- it was important in the moment. Obviously, I think they show him doing that a couple of different times. But then I think the, and they know this because it was a prominent part of the trailer, but when he's in full costume going to the show and he's, doing like he's he's coming down the stairs and he's celebrating and dancing and splashing in puddles is i thought that was <laughs> such a an amazing uh a choice for that that point in the movie because it's like such a reversal instead of playing this stupid game where he's climbing these stairs he's fucking it you know he's going in the opposite direction he's wearing this full yep. makeup and they intentionally brighten the color palette in that part of the movie because his clothes are so vivid and his face and everything it really pops and it's like the body language it's the dancing and the jumping as opposed to this hunched shoulder thing and i just thought that the 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 way they stretched it out and you saw that really really early in the movie and this is one of the last scenes of the movie like that's basically the entire story in those two shots I thought that was masterfully done. I really enjoyed those those shots. I totally agree. I think I think that this scene interestingly is one that I do think lends some some reasonable credence to the anti uh Joker people because it seems like in the logic of Arthur's own head in this moment he's satisfied and that's a problematic message to send, even if the broader social 
takeaway is that it's bad for society for him to be feeling this way. Because, theoretically, if I'm a person watching this movie who's prone to these sorts of violent tendencies, I could be getting the message that this person who is like me is now satisfied and happy in his own head. And so I think it's an interesting scene because it, it walks a really delicate balance. And I think it takes a bigger shot than a lot of the other parts of the movie where I think that there is a genuine interpretation of this that is bad, that does lead you to the conclusion that this is glorifying the character because he does look like he's happy in this moment. And it's a problem for him to be happy in this moment because it seems like it could be providing a roadmap. But I think I think the ultimate question, the ultimate question is, is he happy? Like, is he actually experiencing anything like resembling true satisfaction in this time? For me, I for me, it's just gratifying to see a character that I know from so many other mediums be fully realized like that and yes. to have it built up so effectively, because I think you're right. Like, I think this is actually problematic probably because it, <laughs> for all the reasons you just listed, but to me as someone who, you know, <laughs> is just at this point, appreciating this as a movie and as a an yeah. adaptation of a comic book character that I'm extremely familiar with there's a, to a, to an extent it's just cool to see like a culmination of you know an entire two hour movie into this like crowning of the crown prince of crime like that's that literally as stupid as that sounds that's literally what it but so it's not stupid right. but i think therein lies the difficulty with using the joker to try to tell some sort of social parable because it provides an easier access point to begin with and it and it gets you more buy-in and cachet with your audience and so those are all good things but the bad thing is ultimately you are still dealing with a character who has the baggage of being recognizable and so there is this moment at the end where you think and i think too because i'm 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 thinking about this i've thought about it for a couple weeks but i have the same feeling it's like oh hell yeah there there's the joker like he's here and that's when you run i think that's when you run into problems is at that moment, it's hard. It's you kind of find yourself, at least I did, vacillating between seeing Arthur Fleck, person who I don't want to be gaining satisfaction from his actions at this point in the movie because his actions are uniformly bad at this point, and seeing the Joker character who I've known about and loved for a long time because he's really interesting. That's that's a weird hard tension right at this moment. Yeah, but going back to what you said earlier, like I think that it's fair to expect a certain amount of responsibility from your audience because we can separate those two things. Like we can talk about, but we can talk. No, it's a good point. We can enjoy seeing the Joker on, you know, in a movie, while understanding, like, okay, you know, this is a movie, and if and if this actually happened, this would not be good. <laughs> in fact, it's it's yeah. fucking terrible, and so I think. But the concern, but the concern is still, if if we're we're thinking that this is a character who sort of lives in his own world, if it's good to him, yeah, that in itself could be a problem. I don't, I'm not sure it is, but it could be. Well, yeah, and and you know, it, this is the kind of thing where I 
you know, there's cer- certain arguments where you just like you can't abide the other side and you don't understand how you could come to a conclusion. Yeah. This is not one of those arguments. Um, it's not yeah. really an argument at all. I understand both sides of it, but I think I think art. My conclusion, I think your conclusion too, is that wasn't <laughs> certainly was not the intent of the filmmaker. Yeah. So, but you know, that's the kind. That's also kind of what's great about movies is that they're so open to, open to interpretation. But yeah, we're getting a little long. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Nope, you hit it all. This was beautiful. I loved it. I I enjoyed every second of this podcast, and I definitely scratched an itch I've been wanting to scratch because you and I have been kind of holding off on diving deep on this topic. But I feel really, I feel really passionately that this movie was doing something good, and I feel really passionately that it's a problem if if people who I think maybe haven't seen the movie uh, add to a conversation around it not being a good thing. Cause that's, that's the only, that I think that's ultimately where I fall on this is to what you were saying. It is reasonable to, to walk away from this movie. In fact, I think it's exceptionally reasonable to walk away from this movie saying, I don't think this did a good thing, but I only think you should say that if you saw it with an open mind. I'm concerned that not everybody who's adding to that conversation, that part of the conversation, saw it, or at least saw it with an open mind. That's that's my, I think, my biggest takeaway. Yeah. Well, to be sure, I, 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 regardless of its takeaway, I think it's, I think it's cool that a comic book and superhero movie is generating this kind of dialogue. Hundred percent. An interesting step for the genre. So. Mm-hmm. But that. I, I will quickly recap my list. This is really in no particular order, but the numbers 10 through nine, 10 through eight, we talked about uh, his Murray Franklin daydream, the Thomas Wayne fatherhood arc and the Sophie hallucinations as explanations of his motivations, uh, as well as the quote, all my life. I didn't know if I existed. Now I do. People are starting to notice talking about his uh, craving for attention. That was number seven. Number six, we just talked about Joaquin Phoenix and the laugh and how well he was able to characterize the Joker and also kind of the the impetus behind his transformation. Then we talked about the the way the violence is portrayed in the movies. Number five through three, we talked about the accidental gunshot scene, kind of the way the violence early in the film is reactionary, and then the way that we were never desensitized to violence throughout. Number two, we talked about the setting, specifically the garbage strike and the way that that contributed. And number one, we talked about the stair shots both him climbing up and then coming back down as the Joker. Before we adjourn, Michael, I would like to say a big thank you to Kevin McLeod for mixing up the stanky, 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 not top three music and our theme music, of course. And I'll throw a thank you towards my sister, Aaron, obviously, for putting together our fantastic... Is she your sister? She is, in fact, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But as you know, she put together our, uh, our artwork. It's fantastic. And if you wanted to see more of her fantastic stylings... Just go on Saint Design at Instagram. That's where you'd find it. It's a beautiful thing. Finding things is important. So if you're looking to find us on the old uh, interwebs, you can check us out on our Poupay Twitter. You can check out our Facebook group, our Instagram. All those are top10km. 10 is spelled out T-E-N. Or if you want to suggest anything to us, tell us we suck. 
tell us Joker was a terrible movie and you're never listening to us again or you want to come on and talk about it, we'd love to do a follow-up. <laughs> Legitimately, we would love to do a follow-up. I've been asking people I respect to see the movie because I want to hear their opinions and I kind of want them to disagree with me because I really yeah. want to hear other people's thoughts. So we love that anytime. We'd want to talk to you. So that's top10km at gmail.com. And uh, I'm sure you're listening to us uh, on a podcast. That's, of course, all directed by our lovely social media coordinator, Caroline Labranti, yep, whose stuff job. is on the old internet. She actually just launched a uh, photography Instagram, if you want to take, give that a follow. I um, do. Some some great work. Yeah, it's, it's terrific. It's I absolutely want to do that. It's a certain uh, young, a certain handsome young lad who you know well. I love Jerry. So... <laughs> Yeah, Jerry's a handsome guy. So that is our social media stuff. I'm sure you're listening to us on a podcast app, but if you want another one, check us out on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So those are the things I would say, big dog. I think you nailed it. Thanks, amigo. That was a good one. Thanks, dog. That was excellent and early. Yeah. Loving it. I'll catch you later, bro, amigo. Catch you on the flippity flip. Peace. Peace.